Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. So now you've stayed in Colorado. You love it. I mean, yeah, nothing against Arizona, Palm Desert, Palm Springs. I mean, it's cool and all, but uh, Colorado's, Colorado's hard I to beat. I love it right? here. Yeah. Colorado is so great. And I am really, I'm so fortunate that I never left. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I say as a, as a native. I know a lot of natives like to get fired up about people moving here, but I always say, well, the reason people want to move here is the same reason we all stay, right? It's pretty damn great. So, you know, yep. it, right? Like, it's too bad, but. You know, all of our home values go up, so who cares? You know, why can't we have both? I want both. Can we get both, <laughs> Brian? I want both. I want I want the home values to go up, but I don't want people to move here. Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you let me know if you figure that out. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, uh, okay, very good. I appreciate uh, some of that overview um, from both of you. Thank you. Let's get into baseline. So, Brian, when you started there, what you hired in as what, like a director level of finance? Because I know you were an accounting finance was, guy, right? You I, were in a, you were in a, yeah, go ahead. My initial title was the assistant controller. Assistant uh, controller. Oh, yes. all right. Lindsay, Lindsay likes to remind me of that every once in a while. We it's still phone. how it shows up on my phone when he calls my cell phone. It says, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> assistant controller. <laughs> so Pretty good. 2009, we were operating about 15 properties, probably a couple of funds were open, 15 assets. Uh, so I came in in 2009 to kind of streamline some of the things on the accounting and finance corporate side, fund accounting side, um, you know, learn the business. I always had a curiosity in real estate, but I never worked on any real estate clients at KPMG. I took a few real, real estate classes in college, but, uh, you know, I quickly found a passion for like the business. It all really made sense to me where Okay. I don't know if anything, you know, in my career at KPMG really ever, I was ever passionate about anything I was doing on the audit side mm-hmm. of things. But then gotcha. I really got into it um, pretty quick. But then when you left, correct, and you came back. Yes. So I left after three years of doing great work in accounting. Great work. Uh, and came back as the director of finance. So that's what, okay. Got it. Yeah. Now, I gone, now I, okay. I learned a lot more on the debt and uh, the you know, deal side of things um, at the multifamily shop. So when I, came back, I really um, got into the debt side of things and working with current lenders, potential lenders, kind of more on the fund strategy side, kind of thinking bigger picture. Still doing some accounting because we're, you know, we've always been fairly entrepreneurial. You got to wear a lot of hats. So, um, but, you know, the role got bigger then and kind of got more big picture uh, in 2013 when I came back. I see. And then what happened? They thought, they thought man, this, this guy's also super organized and he can like get the group together and Make make you know, make sure the train's on time. So all of a sudden they push you into operations, or well, what happens? <laughs> uh, there was probably some steps we missed in there, but uh, you know, after uh, you know, we talked about our founding partners. So in 2017, um, they really finally started thinking about um, succession planning. Right. Um, I see. I see. So you know, when we we worked for quite a while, kind of coming up with a you know a 
financial transition, but, you know, part of the, um, you know, the leadership transition was something we kind of didn't get right at the get-go. We kind of didn't really put a lot of, as much thought into the leadership transition. So, you know, we kind of had three founding partners and six new partners, and we kind of didn't really know who was in charge of what for a little bit. It just kind of mm, was, messy. there was all, all sudden nine of us, and we didn't know what rooms, people, what meetings everybody was in, what decisions were made by who, um, you know, so I was working, it was actually a little bit more clear on my side of the business. Craig Zollner was our founding partner on the finance and operations side. And so he kind of, you know, was ready to hand off things like, you know, lease approval and financial statement approval to me. Um, but still, we kind of didn't have any true, you know, who's in charge? Who's, who's I, making on what? I totally, yeah, totally get it. Yep. I hear you. <laughs> so we didn't kind of start cleaning that side of things up until 2018 when uh, myself and Todd Lori were kind of put in these EVP roles as the kind of co-day-to-day leaders along with the rest of the senior management team. So kind of split the up into internal and external. Um, so we got a little bit more clear then. Uh, and then kind of 12 months ago, we, we made another change on the org chart to kind of clean things up a little bit. I became the president of the company. We then now have two executive vice presidents, Lindsay and Dusty. But really, the, the three of us do make up the executive team, the day-to-day leaders, and you know, we do so much together. While, yes, my title is president, it's such a collaborative group, myself and Lindsay and Dusty. Um, you know, I kind of maybe have to break a tie here or there, but really, it's very collaborative. Um, and then we also have our, the rest of our senior management team, our senior vice presidents and up. It's a, you know, it's not kumbaya. I think some people look at us and say, wow, there's eight of them, and they all really get along. It's, do they get anything done? But we really do get a lot done because we, you know, we work hard. We like each other, and that's okay. You know, I don't meet a lot of finance guys with a good personality, Brian. I got to tell you, most <laughs> of them are like most of most of them are introvert type guys. Like most of them are just like heads down. I just want to produce some spreadsheets. I want to talk about the numbers. But you have uh, you you got a little bit of a sales ops flair there. I can see how you got into the role. I like it. I appreciate that. I do trust me. There are days where I just want to close my door, shut the blinds, and spreadsheet <laughs> spreadsheet out. All day. He does. I'm like, I gotta pull him out. <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty yeah. funny. Now, yeah. uh, Lindsay. Now, let me guess. Right. So, so when the president thing started being talked about, you're you're because you had a great career there too, right? You come in as director, as a partner. You're moving up. I want to get into some of that. When they yeah. when they like when they said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna nominate a president or we're gonna pick a president. Were you like, did you have your like Brian doll out, like sticking pins in it at home, hoping he would not get the job, or what what happened there? We were just talking about succession. It it really wasn't, it wasn't that good. I mean, um, so Brian and I, you know, what's interesting about, you know, our career path is that, you know, we started at the same time, like Brian mentioned, we're at really similar stages of, of life. And we were back then as well. And I was the director of investor relations. Brian was the director of finance. Inherently, Mm -hmm. we had a lot of overlap. And before we became business partners, you know, we were necessary, you know, we had to work together because our functions required it. Um, You know, so fast forward when the founding partners asked Brian and I to be one or two of six of the new partners, you know, we found ourselves in this different world where, you know, we had to become business partners. So I joke that we went from being arch rivals and acting like, you know, brother and sister and bickering all the time to, you know, now being put in a position where together, you know, we need to come together and run this business, lead the business, make the important decisions. Um, And that has been a really interesting transition. 
Um, and, you know, we didn't choose each other, uh, but, you know, we kind of came together organically, which has been, I think, a really big part of our story. So, you know, asking the question about, you know, kind of being thrown into, you know, the, the hunger games or the succession <laughs> train on, you know, who's going to be the person. It was never really like that. And uh, we never thought of, we don't, we see, we, we view titles in a little bit of a different way. And, you know, it's something that we have to provide internally for the organization um, so that all of our people, you know, kind of have a picture of, you know, decision-making um, same with people from the outside. Um, but, you know, we just more or less think of ourselves as, as business partners versus, He's the president and I'm the executive vice president of operations because for a long time, um, you know, Brian and I were kind of co-heading up the operational division of the company mm. and being more, you know, finance accounting, me being more, um, you know, relationship management, front of the house, you know, those types of areas of the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really when we made this kind of final decision for, you know, structure purposes, um, it may have even been my idea. <laughs> I like it. I mean, you guys could be a great case study uh, on how you moved up through the organization with different functional expertise, but remained good partners and continued to grow and get promoted and work together after all these years without it blowing up. I've seen that blow up. Uh, <laughs> You know, I've seen it blow up a million times. I don't know if you have any idea what my background is or anything, but, you know, I, I ran a couple of $40 million companies as a CEO and I'm 54 years old. So trust me, I've had plenty of CFOs and executive VPs that have worked for me. And it is not, it is not common for the sales slash biz dev person to get along wonderfully with the finance person. Usually, you know, the sales front of the house person is saying, I want to do this. And the finance person is like, nah, we don't have the money for that. Let's not do that. And so, you know, uh, the fact that you guys have uh, built this relationship over time and you're still together and the original founders kept giving you promotions. I mean, that is, that is a nice case study. I just don't see that all the time. So congrats to, to be where you're at right now. Well, and I, when, when we were considering uh, the podcast and I spoke to, you guys are both, you have both S names. Your yeah, so my, yeah, yeah, and we're both bald, and we're both bald. So people always are like, which one is that? <laughs> Scott, Scott, Scott is well, my partner. Yeah, when I was talking to Scott, you know, I was like, we might be, you know, an interesting kind of change up to uh, your standard yes. guest because I think part of, for me, part of why we're here and why we have the relationship that we have today is number one, neither one of us started the business. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, that, that wasn't the case. And we both started at the same place, like the same level at the same time. So there's never really, that's always been the easy part, you know, and mm-hmm. because we have the history and we've had a similar you know, path up the ladder for lack of a better term, um, that just creates, I think, natural alignment. And, mm. you know, Brian's good people. He's one of the most genuine, authentic fair people that, you know, I've ever known, uh, Dusty's the same way. And the, like the level of trust that we've built over the years, I think is really, you know, we, I joke sometimes like, you know, man, I hope 
like this doesn't all blow up in our faces. <laughs> this, you know, argument over money or decisions or whatever, yeah. because it's, it's quite lovely. It's one of the main reasons why I come to work every day is that, you know, there's no animosity, there's no friction, you know, like I love the people that I work with and it all just feels really awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah. The definition of trust, right, is observable, observable behavior over time, right? So, you know, we have worked together for the better part of 12 years. I know there was a little gap that Lindsay likes to give me crap about, but, you know, we have worked together for 11 of the last 12 years. And, you know, there have been some moments that are tense, right? Like, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, a, a decision I made or a, something I recommended we do, you know, that usually involves money or, or whatever, right? But if we didn't have that trust, then things could have gone south quickly, right? But, you know, as Lindsay mentioned, you know, we kind of view ourselves more as, you know, I'm not Lindsay's boss, we're business partners. And I think, you know, there's always that moment of, okay, I trust this person. I'm always going to make sure that she's good with the deal. I mean, like, there's little decision. I never make a decision without Lindsay knowing about it or talking it through, or we don't always agree, but it's like, we, we brought it up, we talked it through and you know, here's where we're going to go. We usually agree. We don't always agree, but that trust, the trust factor is huge. And um, it's unique because to her point, you know, we didn't start the business. We didn't, you know, our founding partners, right. They, they knew each other because their kids went to school together and one was good at, you know, two had a property management company and one was a private equity guy. And they're like, Hey, let's, let's do this thing. Let's do a private equity real estate firm. Right. And they chose each other. Whereas Lindsay and I didn't choose each other, right? You know, mm-hmm. we didn't really choose the 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 other partners that we you know we came in at at the same level as. But it's just different, right? It's different, but we've kind of taken the entrepreneurial spirit of the founding partners and you know try to transform that into a you know a growing operational company. Lindsay, are you married with kids? Partner, what's your story? I am. I'm married with kids. Um, I have been married for longer than Brian. Um, my husband and I got married in 2008. I have two kiddos, a six-year-old Joe. My, my oldest is six. His name is Joe. And then I have Frank, who's three. Uh. Um, so I just have the two. Okay. Do you guys, do you guys, uh, so my, your kids are similar ages. Do you, have yeah, you gotten, have, 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 have the families gotten together at birthday parties and all the kids around? I mean, you guys, husbands, wives know each other? Yeah. I mean, Brian and I spend a lot of time together at work. Um, we don't spend as much time, you know, outside okay. of, okay. you know, business stuff together. You know, like we're not like so connected at the hip that, you know, we're going on family vacations together, yeah. <laughs> but you know, birthday parties, you know, all that kind of stuff, soccer games, yeah. those types yeah. of things. Cause yeah, our, my, we each have six and three year olds. So very similar life yeah. stage, a lot of okay. crossover um okay yeah, sure. yeah. equally as busy too you know we're yeah. like we're busy running around sports birthday parties you know weekends are busy what's the maddest <laughs> you've ever what's the what's the matter give me give me a time where you were just really pissed off at brian about something you just like he just really just ah you just, he's, he's really I mean, made you, give me something come on give me give me something you got to give me something give me something juicy here where a little to start, bit. Like where it, to start. yeah where to start i mean what i was going to say about when you were going like part of what, what makes our relationship work is that we don't really have any overlap as far as our expertise and like areas of the business that we oversee. So like his skill set and what he does is very complementary to mine. You know, sometimes I get frustrated when, you know, he kind of oversteps in my 
particular in, area of expertise. You're in, you know? you're in her sandbox, Brian. You're in the sand, you're in her sandbox. What are you doing? Well, no, and I think like, you know, and I'm all about, you know, the people, you know, I oversee people and culture, uh, all of our hiring. You know, I'm okay. I'm the EQ heavy portion of this equation. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I can I can see that. <laughs> so Brian's, you know, facts, numbers, statistics, the spreadsheets, you know, so when he tries to jump in, you know my area and insert himself where I'm like, you know, it's a people thing or, you know, I'm trying to read a room. I get frustrated, but I think equally when he tries to explain numbers, the budget, you know, the financial or pieces of like the decision that I've made and I don't understand, then sometimes we, we butt heads. We butt heads the most when we're the former versions of ourselves. <laughs> when I'm acting as the director of investor relations, because that's one of the departments that I oversee He's acting as the director of finance, which is one of the areas of the business that he oversees. Like that's, I feel like the only time we have real conflict. Yeah, when we go pretend like we're yeah the 32, 30 year old versions of ourselves that used to you know get in butt heads. I mean, yeah, exactly. So so Brian, so Brian, for you, she's she's in your office. She's like, look, this feels right. This is the right thing to do. This is what we need to do for the culture. Blah blah blah. And you're looking at you're looking down at your sheet, and you're like, yeah, but. Yeah. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the math. I don't I don't no, I don't think so. Yeah, perfect example is our office. So we're in uh, we're in an old like warehouse type of office that okay. used to be a media company actually, and you know I want to overhaul it. You know, bring in more light. You know, better cube workstations. Yeah, you know, and yeah. This is the best thing for culture, and you know our people are going to love it. <laughs> And you know, let's go, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's let's totally. And that adds us two more seats, and we're going to spend a million dollars. What? Why would would we ever do that? Love it. I love it. Love it. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, What's the magic? I mean, what what's the what's the key? What's the key? What is the key to keep this relationship together for this long? As you guys have both moved up. Um, what do you, what, like, how would you summarize the key to that? And then we'll get into baseline, what baseline does. How would you summarize? What's, let's start with you, Lindsay. What do you think the, the key to this thing is? Um, so as I mentioned, I am, you know, heavy on the heart, the EQ. And from day one, you know, I kind of make blind business decisions based a lot on gut yep. and feel and intuition and, you know, I just trusted Brian, you know, I trusted him from the minute we got thrown into this Mm. kind of partnership equation. And that has to date not disappointed me. You know, it has, it hasn't failed me. And I think I just, I'm going to continue to trust that this person has not only me and my family and the people's, you know, best interest in mind, um, you know, but the company, the future, you know, all of the financial decisions, I don't even, I don't even look at the financial statements, you know, every element of our business that has to do with, you know, finances and the budget and all of those things, you know, I, I just have this blind trust that, you know, my partner here, you know, has, has it all taken care of? Has it all handled? So, you know, for me, that's what it's been. And at the end of the day, even if we have 
arguments and disagreements, which I mean, we have our fair share of and everyone in our company knows it, has seen it, has witnessed it. Um, you know, it always just comes back to, you know, I, I know he has the best intentions and everyone's, you know, interests at heart. So that's it. So I got to ask you this. I got to ask you this, Brian, before I ask you what the key is, when you guys do have a little, little bit of a disagreement, who's the first one, who, who makes the first move? Like who makes the first, like, okay, here's a cup of coffee. It's, um, who, who's the one that like, <laughs> She, she'll never if, if i don't do that she'll never talk to me again <laughs> i joke you know sometimes i joke because in the moment usually like we we've adopted a you know like give it like if it's really you know a heated elevated situation you yeah. know give it enough time to rest yeah, where the emotion sleep, settles sleep on it, sleep on it yeah. and you know because sometimes i'll i'll leave the office and say i'm never talking to brian <laughs> ever again he is dead to me this is over you know, you, you give it the time. Uh, not just we laugh. Like I actually believe she truly means that in her heart. Like I'm never gonna, in I'm the never moment. Talk, yeah, I know you always change your mind. I'm like, I'm not coming back to work tomorrow. Yeah. You figure out how to run this business without me. Because yeah. Yeah. I'm never coming back. Uh, you know, I will tell you. Uh, you know, I've been married to my wife for 22 years. There's no outlasting her, man. I mean, if we if we get into a little bit of a spat about something, there I have tried to like like outlast her and like not be the first one to talk she can go forever like she'll just, she, there's no there's no like she's gonna outlast me it, it, it could go months <laughs> and my husband is actually like he's better at holding firm than brian but you know brian and i have to we have to communicate we have to work together but my husband's better my husband's better at like you know letting me do that for yeah. at least a couple of days <laughs> Brian, what do you think the key is? What's your, what's your, what do you, what's the magic for you? I think the key is just both acknowledge, like it's a lot what she said, right? It's acknowledging that we're better when we do it together than when we try to go at it alone. I mean, there's a couple moments. Well, there's a, there's a moment or two I can think of in our path where I could have kind of like made an attempt to leave Lindsay behind, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Like I saw like a path to, the top that could have been faster and lonelier, yeah. uh, but potentially faster. And, you know, but I, that's not the world I wanted to live in. Like I knew that like what we could build together, if mm. we, you know, made sure we did it together and we're always aligned and always on the same page. It's a going to be a better result in the long run, but B it's going to be a better journey, a better ride. So I think just yeah. mutual acknowledgement of, you know the i always get this analogy wrong the, the sum is greater than the the parts or it's whole yeah that, that i always get that one wrong but i think you know <laughs> what I mean. our talents together add up to a bigger number than them on their own you know that's kind uh, of how i put it very good okay very good thank you for sharing all of that pretty cool story let's talk about baseline group let's uh for the listeners that have no idea what we're talking about who wants to give the three-minute elevator pitch on baseline the three-minute elevator pitch. Go so, for a long elevator ride. I don't. I don't know about it. Who? Just so, just tell us what. Tell us what base. Tell us what baseline so, does. So yeah. I oversee, you know, all of our marketing, all of our PR, and I will give you the proper elevator pitch, and then Brian can translate that into his own <laughs> to his own his own words. Sounds good. Go for okay, it. So the official elevator pitch of the baseline group is: We invest in communities by the acquisition and management of neighborhood shopping centers. Wow, so you almost you almost read that word for word on what's on LinkedIn. Holy cow, that was pretty close. <laughs> like I said, 
I'm the head. I'm, I oversee all of our marketing and PR, and this is important. And brand awareness is important. And you know, that's something we're trying to become a household name and having okay. a strong elevator pitch where everyone in the organization kind of knows it is talking in the same words, you know, mm. communicating it because we actually have, you know, in, in an incredibly robust soup to nuts, real estate and investment management company here. Um, we have a lot of different external audiences that, you know, depending on which department you're in, who you're talking to, you know, the, the end audience is different depending on which part of our business we're in. So we've tried to come up with this elevator pitch that, you know, everyone can use, that it sounds the same no matter who you're talking to. So the second part of that is when we describe the neighborhood shopping centers, you know, just to kind of give everyone the visual, it's these centers are the homes to the businesses that everyone relies on every day in your normal life. So think about the strip center that's the neighborhood shopping center that's Okay. By where you live, where you might go pick up a Subway sandwich, might run to the liquor store, uh, maybe your cleaners, your cleaners, whatever. There. Yep. Exactly. And then by focusing solely on this niche asset, we don't do anything with a grocery anchor. You know, we're doing the small format oh, okay. neighborhood shopping centers. Okay. Okay. So no um, anchors. Okay. Good to know. Nope. So it's like so few it's, anchors. There's we have a thousand tenants. There's an anchor or two in there, but it's not. they're juniors though. They're yeah. not grocery yeah. stores. No. Yeah, got it. Okay. They're Ten to fifteen thousand square feet, mm -hmm. and then we have a comprehensive management approach. We're maximizing value for our investors, tenants, and communities alike. Wow, pretty that's good, Lindsay. Proper, that's the proper uh, elevator pitch. And we laugh because we've been pushing this elevator pitch because it's funny. My wife Jesse used to tell me she's like, when people ask what baseline does, you give the worst answer. I usually would say something like. <laughs> Uh, we buy we, we we buy strip malls in the middle part of the country, right? Like, how terrible does that sound? But it's it's true, right? And, you know, that for us to have a similar language, whether we're talking to, and it doesn't need to be read verbatim. I know Lizzie kind of read it verbatim, but we're telling our team, like, hey, not to memorize it, but just say it in your words. So if you're talking to a tenant, a potential tenant, or a current tenant, or a, a investment broker trying to sell us an asset, or tell them what we like to buy, or you're talking to investors or potential investors, right? We're all we're all saving, saying basically the same thing of what we do, um, mm. you know. And, and why like, we're the best. And why we're the best. So that. What are our three uniques, Brian? Our three uniques are our niche focus, <laughs> our holistic <laughs> operation. So to Lindsay's point, we do leasing, we do legal, we do property management, we do property accounting, we do fund accounting, we do investor relations, we do marketing. I mean, yeah, we do it all. We don't. We do all of our own recruiting and hiring. Yeah. Not anymore. Not not anymore. Now that you've done the podcast, you got to use Radiflex for recruiting. You, you didn't, <laughs> Scott didn't tell you that. No, I'm just playing. Go ahead, keep. No. So so can well, I, we used to outsource a lot of things, and now you know there's very little that's outsourced, and that's you know kind of one of the things that makes us the best at what we do because yeah. we do it all very yeah. holistically. Let me, final community center. Uh, let me can I let me ask you a few questions now. When you say okay, are you raising? Are you taking outside investor cash? So you so you have investors that are partners or whatever you call them. They're they're giving you money to invest. You're investing that money in these in these centers. Is that accurate? That's sure. correct. We have a core income fund of 84 assets right now. Okay. Uh, we managed about 88 assets. So you know, five years ago we had a bunch of properties in a bunch of different funds. Now we've really consolidated into one core strategy, one core fund. I see. Um, and that's where the equity is coming into right now. So 
you know, equity goes into that core fund. They're an immediate investor in, in a portfolio of 85 assets across 20, 25 markets or states, probably more markets in 20, 85, 85 current assets. How, how many, how many investors that are active? Um, in that fund, there's probably about um, 500 investors. Five, oh, 500. Wow. Okay. All right. Wow. Who's the, who's the person that asks the uh, rich people to write checks? Who does that? Whose job is that? <laughs> I mean, so that falls under part of the business that, you know, I spent the better part of my career in. It's our, uh, that's what I figured. our capital development, investor relations, marketing, you know, it's kind of that group of folks here that make up our, it's easy to refer to them kind of as the investment side of the house. Okay. Um, it's a really big part of our business, um, but from a headcount perspective, it actually makes up a very small percentage of um, people here. I so see. Um, we actually have, um, you know, our, our investment structure is unique in that we have six parallel funds and we call them strategic partners um, where there's, there's a buffer, there's a middle layer in between us and the underlying check writing investor, um, okay. some sort of fiduciary, some sort of intermediary that is representing a wealth, like a wealth, manager, yeah, wealth manager. I see. Um, I see. Yeah. I see. What's my return? What's my return? If I give you a million bucks, when do, when do I get, when do I get my 2 million back? How what, you talk to me? <laughs> so the fund has an 8% preferred return. Okay. That, um, pre COVID was, uh, a non-issue. Um, we've been working to resume regular distributions to all of our investors, which I think we're on pace to be there. So we, so to, to Lindsay's point, we were paying every investor 8% every quarter since the fund's inception. Wow. Um, this That's fund inception in, in 2017, right? So we hadn't missed 8% uh, with COVID. We took, um, we had to suspend distributions for a couple quarters. So our kind of our yield dropped into the six range and now we're creeping back up closer to eight. So I think we're, you know, in our main fund, I know the terms are a little different by, by partnership, but we're, we're approaching that 8%. So 8%, 8% on a regular basis. Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't everybody invest? I mean, why wouldn't you invest? Great question. <laughs> um, you know, being on that side of the business for as long as I have, you know, when we're talking to it's the way it's structured, um, it's private. First of all, okay. um, you, you know, you have to have a certain threshold of yeah. net worth yeah. to invest. Yeah. What is um, that? What is that? What is that? A million? Yeah, so it? to be an accredited investor, mm -hmm. uh, based on the way it's structured, um, it's illiquid, um, okay. so there's no liquidity. Um, okay. You're getting your 8% throughout the whole period as you own it until you know we have some target exit dates and all-in IRR targets. Okay. Uh, but you know, essentially, those are a few things that your normal everyday investor, you know, kind of has to you know, a hurdle you have to get over for lack of a better way to phrase that. Um, I think what know. I heard you say, I think what I heard you say is you're dealing with a small group of the, a small portion of the population that actually qualifies to invest. Correct. Okay. That's right. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. All right. I don't know what I was going to well, say. It was really good. It was? I'm sure. Well, and once, and as soon as you know, people can kind of wrap their arms around the fact that you know it's it's private, so it's you know it's not mm -hmm. regulated like the other, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, other publicly traded you know securities are. 
Mm -hmm. um, so it's not regulated. It's private. Um, you know, in the liquidity okay. factor, you know, people want to know they want some assurance yeah. as to when they're going to be able to get their money back. You know, there's some security in the concept of liquidity. You're going to pay a little bit more for it. You know, the returns are probably going to be lower, um, but, you know, it's a trade-off. So do you, do you deal with family offices? Do you, do you target them for investment? Yep. So they have, you know, been one of our, you know, longstanding areas okay. of focus, you know, from really the beginning of time and targets for sure on the equity front. You, do you happen to know Taylor Kirkpatrick? I do. He's an advisory board member and equity holder for us here at RiderFlex. Taylor is great. <laughs> um, you know, worked with him on in a, in a few different capacities, uh, but great people. Uh, awesome guy. He's our best advisory board member. He's, you know, he, uh, if I send out the financials for RiderFlex to eight people, he'll be the one guy that calls me and he'll be like, Hey man, what's this Verizon? How come this Verizon line on your income statement is higher than last year? What's going on with that? Tell him we said hello. Yeah, you know, he will, sure. you know, he will absolutely know who baseline is and what we're all yeah. about our yeah. investment strategy and all those things okay i will do that let me ask you this we've got a few minutes left here i want to ask you a couple of hard hard harder questions you ready fastballs let's go <laughs> okay here you go fastballs well commercial real estate man i you know i mean i, I like if you're going to ask me a commoner and keep in mind i i don't know shit about real estate really that's not my thing. Right. I, I know. I know I'm, I'm very smart about some things. I'm not smart about real estate. So I'm just speaking ignorantly here. But when I hear the term commercial real estate, my reaction right now is like, OK, I would not invest in that right now. I don't know. Like People are working from home. Remotes becoming a thing. Offices are closing down. Like, why would you invest in commercial real estate? I don't know. I mean, that's my reaction as a dumbass commoner. Why don't you educate take that me on a step that? further? Okay. Because we're technically categorized in the food groups of commercial real estate as retail. Yeah. So, you know, we, you are yeah. like many. Yeah. And I'm going to let Brian take yeah, it. Yeah, so taking it a step further, people will, people will think, I thought this is where you were going. Oh, retail. Yeah, not, retail. Like, yeah. Amazon and work yeah. and all of that. All of it. All of it. You know, yeah. you know, to Lindsay's point earlier, a little bit about like why we invest in shopping centers that are, in communities like where we all live it's you know i think about um where i like to go grab a bottle of liquor or a sandwich it's okay. it's it's within three miles of my house and i can park right in front walk in and walk out convenience convenience right people are okay. still doing that people are going to continue to do that you know okay. one of our founding partners challenged us a few years and said we need to prepare as if everything can be delivered to everybody within two hours on demand Okay. You know, that, was, that was a challenge, but then, you know, COVID was a nice case study, which actually taught us that people don't actually like to stay home forever. Remember how we were all <laughs> to get out and get to right. have a right. and have a meal together. Get your hair done, get, get your, your nails done. Get your nails done, go shopping, right? Get, everybody had a backlog at the dentist. Everybody had a backlog at the chiropractor, right? So while yep. we lost a handful of tenants, we lost close to 40, 50 tenants out of 800. We Did you? We, okay. All right. We added, we added a very similar number of tenants. You know, but you didn't lot. lose any centers. You didn't lose any centers, like centers. Okay, yeah. No, right. no. I mean, part of part of the thing that got us recovered was having a really efficient debt structure with uh, one debt facility covering the entire portfolio. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Leverage facility with Key Bank. Um, 
So we didn't have to, you know, do 80 modifications. We've had to do one modification and, uh, you know, we're out of that modification period, but, you know, our, you know, the, the, the COVID case study is that people actually want to go shop. They want to go out and about. They don't want to stay home forever. The uses are going to continue to change over time though, right? Like I always wonder if we owned all these assets in 1995, how many internet cafes would we have had? They're all gone. All the internet cafes are gone, but now we have more <laughs> service-based tenants. We have more, um, you know, coffee shops. We have more breweries, you know, it's changing a little bit. And then if we buy well-located real estate, it's going to change again in 10 years and it's going to, but they're going to still be well-occupied assets. Right. So, you know, where we, but we like the negative, we kind of like that people don't think a whole lot of retail because we don't want anybody buying the centers we want to buy. We want to buy. <laughs> so like we want certain people to not believe in retail, but we want our investment partners and our banking partners to still believe in it. So as long as the right people are hearing our message on why it makes sense, then that's good enough for us. I'm guessing you're buying centers over the last 12 months for cheaper per square foot than you ever have. No, no, no. Really? No. So if you think about, well, COVID, Going back to COVID, um, when we were in the thick of, you know, government lockdown, yeah, we were like, oh my gosh, you know, our tenants aren't going to be open. How are they going to pay right. rent? Yep. Well, about 50% of our tenant base, because of what we buy, you know, what we've always bought, which is these neighborhood centers that are necessity-based, mm -hmm. where, you know, it's small format, 50% um, of them were deemed kind of essential businesses. And okay. we're still able to be open. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, you know, it was kind of proof of concept that we've always said that, you know, the durable goods, you know, the big box Best Buys of the world, you know, the power centers where a lot of that is compromised was, you know, those businesses have adapted to, you know, e-commerce and Amazon, you know, our centers have always been you know, what they are, which is these convenient centers to the neighborhoods that they serve. Mm. Um, so over the years, you know, the uses are going to change. Um, but because we do this form, this small format, you know, there's, there's plug and play, there's plug and play. And if, you know, one business doesn't survive, you know, the next kind of concept, the next entrepreneur who needs some retail presence is, you know, going to, going to fit nicely in, you know, in that space that was, that was, that was vacated. When you're selecting, when you're selecting tenants in the future, are you going to be like, okay, in case of another crisis, these people would qualify as an essential business? Yes. And if they'd. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they really like the COVID, you know, how, how would, how would they handle a, the next pandemic? Right? Like, yeah. Right. How did, they, yeah. how did they do during COVID? Were they a business that existed and made it through COVID? How did they get through COVID? Um, you know, are they essential, right? Like how can they adapt? Do they, is it a restaurant group? Does the restaurant have a yep. delivery yep. component? Do they have a, do they have a to-go component? You know, those kind of things, right? So, you know, all that is all that is key right there. Got time for one more quick, tough question. I apologize. We're, I'm bumping you up against your time here. That's okay. Uh, okay, so you got so your your customers well i mean i know you have you have investors and you have you have tenants and, and and things or you have different types of customers but your tenants your tenants right a lot of them were big time affected by all this lockdown and all these rules and crap so what were your what what was baseline's um uh, uh, opinion or comment on all of this were you were you like calling your tenants and you're like, yeah, this is, this is fucking bullshit. I can't believe we're, we're having to do this crap and you're being supportive with them. Or are you like, 
yes, we need to shut down. Like, what, what were you saying? What were you doing? What's what stance were Your you taking? Your question is a little bit more. I thought you were going one way. So you're a little bit more political than I was expecting you to say. But I, <laughs> I'll divert that question to a diff, with a different, a little bit different answer. You know, so one of our third, three unique, our third unique is community centric approach, right? So. When COVID hit, right, March 12th, March 13th of last year, we we got pretty much everybody we could in our conference room in our old office and said, okay. all right, guys, we need to put a task force together. We're going to put a tenant task, task force. Task right. force, right? That would be cool. But all right, let's, who's, who's on the task force? You, whatever your job was, if you're an acquisitions guy, construction management guy or gal, yeah. you're going to be on the task force, right? You have a new job, right? Because things aren't going to be normal for a while, right? So okay. we took our 850 tenants and cut it up into 20 slices and said, Here's your 40 tenants. Just start calling them. Start talking to them. Talk to them every day. Are you open? What's going on in St. Louis? What's going on in Arizona? What's going on in your part of the market? Like, okay. All right. are, people, are people coming in? Are people not coming in? Are you scared? Like, we didn't have any answers. We just started, we have relationships with the tenants, but we're like, let's let's start building on these relationships because this could get this could get crazy. We have no idea what's happening, how right. long it's gonna yeah. go. Yeah. You know, so that was our kind of a first initiative with the, we, we ended up calling it the tenant pulse. Support. So really, so, re, yeah. so really it was just like, I want to stay in communication and support you. That was step one. Exactly. Yeah, Versus so was, sending, you know, demand letters. Yeah, that was step one. I mean, and, and, you know, it was mid-month. So most tenants had already paid their rent for March. So it's not like we were calling for rent. We were just saying, hey, how's it going? Um, you know, and then that morphed into, you know, remember in mid-March, like, all right, this thing will be over in June. We'll be back, right? Everything will be normal again, right? <laughs> so we didn't really... Um, you know, we didn't really start having the rent conversations right away, but slowly April started approaching and this thing wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse. So, you know, yep. the next step was, let's just tell tenants, hey, your rent bill's coming due. Just pay what you can. You know, if you, if your rent's 10 grand a month, can you pay, can you pay half of it? Nothing was formalized. Just say like, pay something. I know things are different. We're going to figure something out in the long run, but just pay what you can. So that was kind of okay. our next. And the next step after that was, we thought we were going to do a big deferral program and say, okay, tenants, you can, you can, all the rent you didn't pay in Q2, you can pay off over the next year, right? We thought this big deferral program was going to be great. But right okay. before we rolled out the deferral program, we realized it wasn't going to be enough relief for our tenants, right? That no one wanted to take on, you know, paying double for 12 months because yep. things yep. weren't getting better, right? We had no end in sight. Uh, so a group of us on the senior management team, including myself, visited a bunch of our assets in July, kind of fast forwarding a little bit to July of last year. And, met with as many tenants as we could and said, okay, what's meaningful to you? What kind of relief do you need? What do you need to get your business, you know, back on track or how can you weather the storm until things get back to normal? So, you know, we implemented a couple of programs from that. One was like a, a personal protect, well, PPE, a PPE stipend for some tenants or. I was going to say all the while, yeah. you know, we were providing our tenants with resources, support, you know, we had one of our tenants in the portfolio had access to PPE equipment, you know, yeah. so we were really doing the full circle bear hug around our tenants to provide them with things mm. that they might mm. need mm -hmm. and have mm. access to, you know, mm -hmm. lots of that was going on, you know, when the PPP stuff was just coming out, you know, we wanted to be on, like, do you need you know, financial consultation. Do you need yep. help putting like uh, making your application really mm -hmm. trying to help our tenants in whatever way that we could to support Good. them. And the yep. ones that were responsive and communicating with us and, you know, not like taking our calls. Um, you know, we, we took this partnership approach with them because for us, it was less about collecting short-term rent and more about long-term 
preservation of you know our investors' capital. Yeah, we just wanted which them to means be the investors yeah. need to be successful. Are yeah. not investors, the tenants. Yeah, we needed them to be tenants when COVID was over. That was right. the priority, yeah. not you know paying us rent for a couple months. So good, after those kind of property visits, talking to tenants, we implemented a program for our most affected tenants, which um, we ended up doing this up for a hundred of our eight hundred tenants. We 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 amended their lease. We gave them a few months of free rent for COVID. We gave them a nine month rent reduction mm -hmm. to kind of weather the storm. Um, in exchange for adding term on the back of their lease, right? So the idea was, we'll give you some short-term relief because we can, we can, we can, you know, our bank's okay with this. Um, we're going to take less right now for the long run to add term to your lease because we believe in your business. We think we want you, we want you to get to the end of COVID, whenever that end is, mm -hmm. and be yeah. viable. So did the banks know, do? Did the banks do the same thing for you? We didn't have to. Our that large loan facility we had, they didn't have to, you know, forgive any. You know, we never missed a payment, right? We collected enough okay. rent to maintain loan payments. You know, okay. our bank worked with us in the sense that, you know, it waived some potential, like, you know, occupant, a couple potential um, covenant trips, right? Like our, our yep. portfolio yep. has to stay 80% yep. occupied. Well, if half our I mean, should, we weren't 80% occupied, but. During, you know, during, during COVID, if a banker called me and didn't said the word covenants, I would just, I would just be like, what, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a great relationship with our bankers. So they were, you know, they were great. You know, okay, good, good, good. With our tenants, and, and we did we did that program, and I think it got us a lot of uh, you know a lot of credibility with our tenants, right? If if our, one of our tenants is like, I can move down the street for a dollar less per square foot, but baseline got me through a pandemic, they might stick around longer because who knows what the, what the, what the deal is with the guy down the street, right? And now, I guess the, one of the last questions here is, how, where do you think we're at? You, you think you're feeling good? Are we? Are we are we rounding the corner here? Your tenants are feeling good. Where, where, where are we at? Well, those, uh, those kind of rent reduction deals I kind of mentioned, right? You know, those, those all kind of burned off in April. So yeah. we were kind of bracing ourselves for a bunch of phone calls in April to say, oh man, I, I still, my full rent's kicking in. I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. I need more relief. You know, I think we got five or less of those calls out of a hundred. Oh, well, that's so, pretty, okay, I mean, great. And we're not, we're certainly not like COVID's over, COVID's, we're out of the woods. Right. But, you know, I think we've kind of established that, you know, we haven't seen any shutdowns. We haven't seen any reductions in restaurant capacity. We have a lot of restaurants in our portfolio. Like, you know, sure, we all hope there's not another variant that totally changes the game. But, you know, from where we stand, like, it's kind of business as usual. It's a new normal. I know people use the term new normal, but it's kind of, it's a new normal. Again, we're, we're buying properties, we're paying investors. We're signing leases, um, we're raising capital. Um, you know, all those things are kind of happening right now. So we're 2021 was kind of that I think tweener year for us because we think 2022 is going to be pretty pretty big on the on the growth side of things. You know, I, I um, here's where I think here's where I think we're at. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this on the podcast. My partner will probably be like, "Man, don't be saying this stuff on the show." Uh, you know. Larimer County, I'm recording this, by the way, for the listeners on October 28th, 2021. Larimer County just recently, was it last week or whatever, they tried to like reinstitute a mask, mask mandate or something for their businesses. Um, and my wife and Larimer I went over County? there. Larimer County? Yeah, I think so. Was it last week? Okay. I think it was last week. They tried to. I think they tried to roll something out. Anyway, we went over to dinner over there uh, down at uh, Poor Boys, which is like down there on the Main Street, Loveland, whatever that Main Street is. Anyway, um, yeah, people, people, it was, it was, it was this very um, weird atmosphere where it was almost like, yeah, all the restaurants and everybody kind of heard about 
the new rule again, but everybody was like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> That's kind of how it felt. So, so my point is, uh, I, I, I don't think we're going backwards. I'm, I'm predicting that we're not going backwards. I, I just feel like, I feel like the public is, uh, no matter what happens at this point, I feel like the public is like, Hey man, I want to, I want to go to my restaurant. I want to hang out at my bar. I want to go to my gym. Don't, don't be messing with me. <laughs> not on so, shutdowns i mean yeah, yeah. if it was yeah. gonna happen it probably would have happened right and that's right my only caveat is like if there's some the next variant you know is completely um unaffected by vaccines it affects children right like you know if something like that happens sure I'm, I, I bet we go backwards but I, if they, it, hey if, if, if people start dying in the streets in my name my neighborhood okay yeah then maybe but until yeah. then I'm going, I don't, don't be messing with my tavern. I got to go down with my boys and have happy hour. <laughs> well, we have, you know, we have a lot of small mom and pop business owners. Yeah. It's the majority, it's the majority of business across the country. Yeah. <laughs> right. Small and, business. you know, having their hands tied, not being able to, you know, provide for their families and, you know, yeah. run the family business. It was, it was devastating for a lot of our tenants. Oh, and I think we got past a lot of that. Um, you know, I think yeah. it would have been very difficult to go backwards. And totally agree. Masks totally are one agree. thing, but mandated shutdowns are, you know, quite another. Yeah. Yeah. Like, totally. They kept they kept adapting on the fly, right? They did. They kept I mean, with it and, and you know, yeah. putting patios outside and you know in the parking lots and just doing what yeah. they doing what doing what they small to. business owners in this country do, which was awesome yes. to see. I mean, it's. It's the American spirit, you know, yeah, they, absolutely. they scrapped, you know, they yes. weren't going to go down without a fight. And that's really from us as a, a business and our investment strategy and like choosing to invest in this very uncommon asset class. You know, it's fragmented. Mm. There's no one else on a national level uh, buying small format, unanchored neighborhood shopping centers in secondary markets throughout the United States. You know, we don't have wow. a lot of institutional competition. Um, because these are their smaller centers, you know, we're doing a lot of messy, heavy lifting to aggregate this portfolio of like 83, you know, $5 million centers, you know, yeah. to try to grow it to the level that we're trying to grow it to. Um, and it's, you know, the resiliency of our tenants, you know, that weathered the great recession, they've now weathered COVID. And I mean, it's just proof of concept that, you know, these, Small local businesses are, you know, what this country is all about. And, you know, it's, are you guys, are you guys going to be the Simon group of small strip centers? Is that the deal? Are you going to be, I don't know. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, maybe. that's the goal. That's the idea. <laughs> we want everyone in the entire country to drive by the types of centers that we, that we buy and say, Oh, that's a baseline center. That's, that's awesome. No, that's yeah. awesome. Congratulations on, on not only the business, by the way, for the listeners, baselinegroup.com, baselinegroup.com. You can also, um, you know, go there and look up all our leadership team members and send them a bunch of LinkedIn invites. Lindsay and Brian love that. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on baseline. Congratulations on your own careers there. The growth, the promotions that you've both had, uh, becoming partners in the business and executives in the business over, you know, 10 years or whatever it's been. I mean, congratulations. Really nice job. Thanks, thanks so yeah. much, Steve. Appreciate that. Th thanks for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. You bet. Thanks Absolutely. for having us. This has been so fun.